This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 322. And there's actually some kind of celebrity heavyweights that say that exact phrase that sales cures all. And uh, what I say is bull. Hello and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. I am so glad you're here. My name is Jeff and this is the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. You may have heard that I'm a big believer in the idea that if you want to achieve uh, true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. I believe in that so wholeheartedly that I'm actually in the process of writing a book about it. Uh, I've had many people over the years ask me, Jeff, when are you going to write a book? That process has actually begun. Now, as you no doubt know, that process takes time and the book currently is slated for release in the fall of 2021, but it has begun. The rock is rolling down the hill. We can't stop it now. And by the way, in case you're curious, the tentative title for that book is Read to Lead. Surprise. The simple habit that expands your influence and boosts your career. Today, we're joined by someone who I am interviewing for the fourth time, twice here on the Read to Lead podcast and last year for my Boss Free Virtual Summit. I'm talking about Mike Michalowicz, and he's the author of the brand new book, Fix This Next, Make the Vital Change That Will Level Up Your Business. And I'll be asking Mike to share why he believes that though it wasn't written with today's crises in mind, his new book may just be the perfect book at the perfect time. Why the mantra, sales fixes everything, is a myth. The difference between making money for your business and taking money from your business and lots more. Now, quick programming note before we welcome Mike. I have been able to, in the last several months, get much further ahead in planning for the show than I have ever been in these last uh, six or, or seven years. And I thought I'd just give you some insight as to who you can expect in the next few weeks, what kind of books we'll be diving into. Next week on the show, it's Steve Hers, author of a book, Don't Take Yes for an Answer, Using Authority, Warmth, and Energy to Get Exceptional Results. We'll be chatting with B.J. Fogg, author of the New York Times bestselling book, Tiny Habits, The Small Changes That Change Everything. Also, Emily Hayward and her book, Obsessed, Building a Brand People Love from Day One. We'll check in with former Chick-fil-A executive Mark Miller and his book, Win Every Day, Proven Practices for Extraordinary Results. And we'll speak with the former vice president of Disney's Magic Kingdom. I'm talking about Dan Cockrell. We'll chat about his book, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? Lessons from a Disney Leadership Journey. That and more in the next few weeks, right here on the Read to Lead podcast. Mike Michalowicz is uh, the entrepreneur behind three multi-million dollar companies, and he's the author of uh, uh, several books, uh, six, I think, in total, uh, two of which we've featured here on the show before, Profit First uh, and Clockwork, another one called The Pumpkin Plan. I think that one came out before the show existed, so that's my excuse for, the, for not interviewing you about that one. <laughs> But uh, Mike is a, a former a small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and regularly travels the globe, a globe as an entrepreneurial advocate. And his new book is called Fix This Next. Make the vital change that will level up your business. Uh, I'm excited to have you back for the third time here on the show. Uh, Mike, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Jeff, thanks for having me as always. It's really an honor to be on your show. I just love the thoughtfulness that this show <laughs> brings about uh, and how you explore books. So thank you. 
Well, my pleasure. And as, as I read the, uh, the title of your book the first time, uh, the subtitle, Make That Change, I kind of pictured you and your, your best um, Michael Jackson get up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> your personality is such that you're goofy and you're funny. And yeah. I, I kept looking for that in your, in your photo set, but I didn't find it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's, that would not be too atypical of me. Um, and now you have me thinking, it's funny. So this, this is now culminating in a future book I'm working on that is about embracing our idiosyncrasies. Mm. and her oddity. So the, the next book I do will probably have a Michael Jackson moonwalk. <laughs> I've heard you mention that it takes you about five years to write a yeah. book. I know prior to uh, sitting down to write this one, uh, you sent a survey to your list to, to ask them to describe uh, their greatest challenges. What, what did that survey reveal to you as you got answers back for that? Yeah. So I sent that question out and I, I probably do that annually. Mm-hmm. Not not by intent, but it just that seems to be the frequency. And in those emails, I'll ask, what's the biggest challenge you're facing? This one particular one, I said, what's the biggest challenge your business faces this year? And I, I'm i not the best technically, to be honest. And I sent out the same email multiple times on the same day. Oh, no. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. But what's interesting is in some cases, the same person responded multiple times in that day with different answers. Oh, wow. Different answers for their biggest challenge of the year. And that became the thesis for this book is that the biggest challenge business owners face is knowing what their biggest challenge is. Mm. There's, there's these constant stream of apparent issues. There's all these things we can do. It's not a lack of demand for, for our time and attention. There's no question about that. But we have lost our selectivity. We, we, we simply do whatever the next thing is. You know, putting out fires is what we say. And any given time, by definition, there only can be one most important thing that our business needs from us. So I wrote Fix This Next to very rapidly identify of all the things we can do, what's the one thing we should do? Mm. Well, I'm going to avoid jokes about our current uh, toilet paper crisis and a book <laughs> you wrote with that word in the title. Uh, but I know when you sat down to write this book, you didn't have our current crisis in mind, obviously. Oh. But, but when did the realization hit you that it might just be the perfect book at the perfect time? Yeah. So the realization hit six weeks before it launched. I wrote the book through the entirety of 19, I'm sorry, of 2019. I started working on about 2015, 2016. I started working on the research. Mm. And uh, some people ask me, well, if you write, if it takes five years to write a book and you've written six books, but you haven't been an author for 30 years, <laughs> how does that compute? <laughs> I, I'm working right now on three books just to give you a sense. So they're, wow. there's, they're in different stages and it's not just writing, it's research, testing. I own some businesses. Well, I wrote this book because business is constantly under what I call now mini crisis. Every day we come to our business, for most entrepreneurs, it seems that there's a crisis to put out. There, there's that customer is threatening to leave, or mm. there's that competitor who's come in and actually is taking clients from you, or that employee who's just struggling along. There's always little mini crises. And of all those things, what do we select to work on next? That's why I wrote this book. Well, Six weeks before it came out, it came out on April 28th of 2020. Six weeks before it came out, it became very clear that the COVID crisis was something more significant than, oh, it's something over in China. This was a global pandemic and businesses starting to shut down. I got a call from my publisher, it's Penguin Books, and they mm -hmm. said, um, we want you to know we're ready to still continue with the book. Uh, do you still want us to, to launch it or do you want to delay this? And in that discussion, I was like, th this book was born for this moment. What happens in macro crisis, where there's macro shift, macroeconomic crisis, it triggers expedited micro crisis. So what, the toilet paper you reference, that's a great example. Macro crisis 
breaks out. And then these little mini crises start spinning out. There's a run on toilet paper. And there's a mass psychology and reason why it happens, but it amplifies problems. So problems start bubbling up faster. So it's ironic, coincidental, no one could have predicted this, that this book was really born for this moment. The adoption of the book was greater than any of my other books. So when it launched on April 28th, the book is outperforming any of my other books for demand. By the way, in a down market, so if you're an author, most authors, at least in the nonfiction business genre, have had a drop initially for about 50% of their sales got cut in half. So if you sold 1,000 books a week, you're down to 500 now. And it's slowly been creeping up for most authors. Fix this next kind of spit in the face of that dynamic. And it just it started performing right out of the gate. So I really do feel the book was born for this moment. And it's, it's interesting to see how entrepreneurs in general are, are receiving it that way. Uh, you mentioned uh, or hinted a moment ago that there's an actual order to the process of, of fixing what's what's wrong with your business that, that gets us sort of out of this um, survival trap we tend to fall into. I think a lot of business owners would would argue that regardless of the issue, Mike, it's, it's all about sales. Uh, um, more yeah. sales fix everything. Sales fixes everything, right? What, what would you say to that? Yeah, there, there's actually some kind of celebrity heavy, heavyweights that say that exact phrase that sales cures all. And uh, what I say is bull. <laughs> uh, so and here, here's here's my logic behind it is I studied in the context of this book, hundreds of businesses, but over my lifetime now studying businesses, I, it must be in the thousands from very kind of periphery views to very deep analytics. And what I've discovered is there is a common DNA for all businesses. I liken it to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and actually translated it into what I call the business hierarchy of needs. Maslow identified that there's a commonality or common need structure for all humans. And from the outside, we can see differences, our skin color, our height, our gender. But internally, when it comes to our our behavioral mechanisms, our need structure is the same. Mm. Everyone needs food, water, oxygen. And Maslow argued only once that's adequately satisfied can we address the next level of needs, which is safety. It goes all the way up this hierarchy to self-actualization. But anytime a base level need is not adequately satisfied, meaning like I'm choking on something right now, our conversation doesn't matter. I got to dislodge this from my throat. It's a biological response. Yeah. Well, in our in our business, we have five levels of needs similar to Maslow with one great distinction. Maslow's hierarchy, you and I, Jeff, are neurologically wired into ourselves. We know if we're choking. We know if we're hungry. In our business, we don't know if our business is choking or hungry because we're not neurologically wired into the business. Mm. The data will represent that. But unfortunately, most business owners trust their gut. I think we need more sales. I think we need uh, to hire a rainmaker or whatever it is. The five level of needs in business, foundationally, every business does need sales. But that's, to me, that's the equivalent of absorbing oxygen. You need to breathe, but at a certain point, breathing more does not help. And at a certain point, it becomes hyperventilating. And that's why sales does not cure all. Sales are necessary, but it's not sufficient. The next level above that is profit in the business hierarchy of needs. Profit is the creation of stability. That's the absorption of the oxygen into the bloodstream of the business. Mm-hmm. You can breathe as much as you want, but if your body's not taking it in, you're still screwed. Mm. And you can see actually in, in this, you know, I would argue we're in a recession. The government won't classify it that way. It takes two mm. quarters, but all indications are mm. that we are. And profit, you see the businesses that didn't focus on profit. You see the businesses that were just focused on sales because those businesses are out of business. I think it was Warren Buffett. Uh, and I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but he said, uh, you know, when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked. Mm. That's the space we're in. Above that in the business hierarchy of needs is order. Order is the creation of efficiency. 
organizational efficiency, no dependency on the owner. Level above that is called impact. Impact is where we're not in the, in the business of transactions, we're in the business of transformation. Shifting up clients or customers' life in some degree, and the highest level is legacy, it's the creation of permanence. This is where actually, as I do my research, business owners no longer call themselves business owners. They realize that they've always been business stewards. They had a responsibility to bring an entity, their business to life, mm. but their involvement in it is secondary to the business continuance. And what this business hierarchy reveals is at a certain point, one of those elements is the most important that we address. They are all playing out at all times. Just like Maslow, like you and I are breathing right now, but we're not thinking about it. Well, now maybe we are because I mentioned it, but we weren't thinking about it. It just happened on automatic. All these levels of business are happening all time. The question is, where do we need to concentrate our energy on the next resolution? And we use this by starting at the foundation, say we have adequate sales. If so, we have adequate profit. And we keep on asking ourselves, wh where does it become inadequate? Fix that. And then go back to the base and do that same analysis again and again into perpetuity. So the BHN, the hierarchy, is sort of an indication of what needs uh, fixing. But then within that, you've got a plan for how to fix yes. it. Uh, talk a little, a little bit about that. Yes. And, you know, I shouldn't say sadly, but just what's common is many entrepreneurs or outside consultants go in with a how without considering the what. Mm. You know, if I'm a sales coach, I go into a business and say, listen, we need to improve sales. And I'll show you how. Or if I'm an HR expert, I'll come in and say, we need to improve recruiting here and I'll show you how. <laughs> Those are all great solutions. The question is, are they an appropriate solution? If I'm a brain surgeon, I can say, let's do brain surgery. But if you're having a heart attack, is it really relevant? So the business hierarchy of needs is a way to identify what to do. Then we have to, once we know what to do, use a framework for the how. The framework I suggest in Fix This Next is called OMEN. It's an acronym and it hits on four distinct elements. Most entrepreneurs do too. The reason they fail to execute beyond that is because they don't have an awareness and they fail to achieve the outcome they want. Here's what it is very quickly. OMEN, the first letter O stands for objective. What do you want to achieve? A simple example is if we feel we have a sales issue uh, and we don't have enough clients, the objective may be I want or need more clients for my business. That's the objective. Then mm -hmm. M stands for measurements. How do we know we're achieving that objective? It's a certain size client, a certain conversion frequency, you know, I need to do it once a week or something, a certain number of clients. And I would argue most entrepreneurs instinctually know this and do this, but they do a set it and forget it. They say, okay, we need more clients. We need two more a week. And then a year later, they're like, whatever happened to that goal? <laughs> there, there was no commitment to seeing the milestones through. Mm. It was just almost arbitrary. So the next two elements are absolutely critical because they're so frequently missed. E stands for evaluation frequency. And what that means is how frequently are we going to review our movement toward the objective according to those measurements? It's actually something we calendar. And mm. we have to find you know, the, the Goldilocks right temperature. Is it something that we check in weekly or annually or, or, or every second? And for many small businesses, you know, checking your conversion rate every second would be ab absurd. It's, it's, it's <laughs> hypermania. But, you know, for a company like Amazon, you know, every second's probably pretty appropriate to see how your conversions are going and adjust accordingly. And, and some businesses once a year, maybe like a Boeing or something, mm. you know, you get huge, massive orders, but you get about one, maybe two customers a year checking, you know, weekly, maybe way too frequently. So we have to find the just right measurement frequency, but calendar it. We have to commit and review. And the last part, nurture, teaches us how to review. It's that when we make an objective and we set the measurements and even the evaluation frequency, it's based upon our current awareness and knowledge. Over time, things may change. 
we may realize it's not about converting clients. It's actually about prospects. We need more flow of prospects. And to stay steadfast to a goal that's that's no longer relevant is a fatal mistake. Yet many businesses do it because that was our goal. So we have to change the goal. So nurturing is giving ourselves the flexibility to change things. And the best way to do it is, is in this case, actually through committee. One person setting a goal that sets the goal usually comes steadfast because it was their goal. If there's two or three people from different perspectives, then we can often have a challenging and productive conversation. I'd argue, pick the person who set the goal, but also pick the person closest to the problem and maybe an outsider who has no access to what's going on so they can give a different vantage point and have that committee say, are we nurturing this? Do we have the right goal set? How do we tweak this and improve this? And if you do those four elements, your likelihood of achieving a productive outcome of resolving the vital, the true vital need for your business amplifies significantly because you gave yourself the dynamics to refine and improve. Uh, Mike, I want to dig into a couple of these levels a little more uh, specifically, uh, and I think it's important to remember these are levels of a business, not stages of business growth, right. a distinction you make in the book. Um, what do you mean when you say generating profit is not making money for your business, it's taking yeah. money from your business? Yeah, it's it's not a, such a subtle difference yet in our vernacular. We often say how much how much you making, and um, what will look then is a top line number, and we start putting a disproportionate significance in how much the business makes. There seems to be a perverted pride in I have a million dollar business or five million. Mm-hmm. I like to brag about that, but that same person you go to their house and they have lawn chair furniture <laughs> is their in house furniture because they can't afford it. The, the business is unhealthy, mm-hmm. so it really is about how much you take. Over the years now, I've become much more impressed by businesses that take a profit as opposed to make a revenue. And so why we need to distinguish this is we need to put that as a significant, perhaps the most critical factor over how much you make. A business that does, say, $100,000 in revenue and the owner's taking home $99,000 that's pretty impressive that that they're able to achieve that. Where a business that makes a million dollars and the owner's taking home $50,000, which by the way is pretty common, mm. is is far inferior, yet the judgment's on the make, not the take. So I just want to put significance in the take, the health of an organization. Mm. Well, in an, another interview that I heard uh, Mike do, I actually heard him call his mom a liar. Huh. Um, <laughs> was that was that Don Miller? That was the Don Miller. She, yeah, 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 yeah. She would say, uh, in your words, you have to give to get, uh, but you say it's actually just the opposite. Explain that. Yeah, so that's how I was raised. My mom said, like, <laughs> always be a giver, always be a giver, and it will come full circle. And uh, on Don Miller's show, and now on your show, Jeff, I call both on that. And um, I understand the intent and the sentiment. I'm saying from the business perspective. There are businesses, actually, particularly in this pandemic crisis, that have gone out of their way to give to their community, their past patrons, in a way that they've compromised their business. They give it all away until it hurts. And it's the till it hurts part that's a real problem because these businesses are out of business. And I actually consider that the ultimate sin. A company that was so giving for two weeks will never be able to be in business again. They're they're wiped off the face of this planet. I think we have a responsibility to give for two months or two years or two decades. And the only way to do that is by being fair to our customers as we're fair to ourselves. We must get the base of the BHN, the business hierarchy of needs. We need to get sales into our organization to get that oxygen. We need to absorb the oxygen through profit. We need to get efficiencies. The muscle of the organization is order where it can operate on its own in order to give. So we must get to give. And that's why I called bully my mom. And if I said that, if my mom hears that podcast, which I know she wouldn't, she'd slap me in the face. So don't. So uh, if the three foundational levels 
are solid. We've got sales squared away. We've got uh, profit squared away. Excuse me. We've got uh, order in order. And we, we understand the get to give. We've taken care of us. Then we're ready to begin to focus on the other two, right? Impact and then ultimately uh, legacy. Yeah, we're able. To, we're then ready to focus on the fix for those. Those are always mm. present. And here's the the great irony. I would argue for most entrepreneurial endeavors, the greatest day of that business is the day before they start their business. <laughs> With the grand vision, like I'm going to change the world. We start thinking about impact. This is going to be around forever. This is going to be my retirement, my gift to my children. Right? We start thinking about that. I'm not saying don't consider that as you continue your business. I'm just saying it can't manifest until you take care of sales, profit, and order. Mm. Once those are adequately serviced, then we start actually fixing, meaning resolving, improving impact and legacy. And as we work on those things, we may at times revert back to lower levels to buttress up the foundation. Impact is where we're transformational to our clients. I, the, the example I use regularly now is Harley-Davidson. Because I think it's such a great example. My nickname is Mike Motorbike. I've actually never driven a motorcycle, Jeff. (laughs) That's the irony. But I I believe you can buy a motorcycle from any manufacturers. But when you buy a Harley-Davidson, there's a transformational experience. Now you belong to a community. You got a hog. You're a weekend Mm. warrior. You may get the tat on your shoulder. But it means something about you. So it's not anymore the vehicle, meaning the actual motorcycle. It's what that changes in your life, uh, how you've been transformed. Mm. And belonging to a community is one form of transformation. A doctor saving someone's life is very a literal translation in the shift of life. Um, but it, it could just be a, a new label you've assigned to yourself. The end analysis is this. If your clients say to you, you've changed my life, you've changed your life in some mm. capacity, and there's many ways to do it. The legacy level is where we, we bring permanence to, to a business, where it's really about the extraction of the owner. It's really about identifying what will make this business live on into perpetuity mm. forever. Uh, an example, you, it could even be the founding fathers of, of the United States is they set up a structure that was designed to live on forever. Now, things will change. Nothing lives on forever, but they built something without the intent of their authority, but the intent of the continuance of the nation. That's how they perceive our business. And this is something you cover a great deal, or at least one aspect of it in clockwork, uh, this idea of of, uh, I'm thinking specifically of four weeks in a row of vacation. All your employees, all, what is it, 12 or 14 employees. 12 people, yeah. Uh, yeah. Are expected to take uh, four weeks in succession of vacation every year. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, right after a clockwork, that was the, the realization behind it. So what I realized is that if a linchpin employee, and in small business, the linchpin employee inevitably is the owner of the business. If they can be removed from the business, a full physical and digital disconnect for four consecutive weeks, most businesses experience every element of that business in these monthly cycles. That is proof positive the business can continue without the owner. Mm. Then, and I did that for my, I, I'm the ultimate guinea pig. So I've now I'm in my fourth experience with this going into this year. And so I did that and I went through bumps and bruises, not just the business, but my own ego mm. of, of not being needed. Uh, we instilled a president for a company. So I've removed myself from that. Her name is Kelsey. She runs our organization. And then I said, oh my gosh, I simply now have Kelsey as the linchpin. What if Kelsey is not around? So we said, okay, Kelsey, you got to go on a four week vacation. <laughs> and we did that. Uh, actually, it ended up being an eight-week vacation, mm. and we sustained and actually grew in her absence. And then we said, oh, my gosh, every employee should go on a four-week vacation. So there's no dependency upon any individual. It's the ultimate way to build redundancy because it's forced redundancy. Mm. 
if Amy or Jeremy or anyone here from the organization leaves for four weeks, we have now have to have backups in place because they are going to leave for four weeks. And listen, this pandemic has become a test. Mm. A lot of businesses have lost employees because it's just it's you make more money on unemployment. How are those businesses can continue? Mm. So we can prepare for it by actually forcing this. And, and the funniest thing is this. My colleagues say this is the most amazing company in the world. I get no one gives a four week vacation. Um, it's such a win for me. And like, it's actually a win for us mm. because now we have redundancy and protection. So it really is a win for our organization. Oh, that's great. Um, well, I've got a couple of questions, as I always do, that I want to ask you, not directly related to your book. Uh, but before I do that, Mike, anything else that I maybe didn't cover that you want to make sure we know or walk away with? I think um, the the irony of the situation we're in, I just want to just drive that home with this pandemic. Mm is how I am uh, illustrating it is back in March of 2020, you know, small businesses in the beginning of March are marching down the road saying, <laughs> this is amazing. It's a sunny day. And all of a sudden from a dark alley that you didn't even know was there, the world came and just, it, it cold cocked us in the mm. face hard, like black eye, bloody nose, tooth swinging loosely. <laughs> and, uh, and as the world did that, it said, Hey, now that I have your attention. I need you so badly. Would you please save me? Mm. It's the greatest irony. The, the entity that punished us is starving for us to serve it. Mm. We must serve the world. I used to say business, small business is the backbone of the economy. And, and I'm changing my tune now. Small business is the economy. Mm. Over 90% of businesses that exist is small business. Over 50% of employed employees work for small business. If small business fails, the economy is done. Stick a fork in this. Mm. Now, the beautiful thing is small business won't fail. It never has. Even under the suppression of dumb government rules and laws, small business continues to succeed and it will thrive again. There's no doubt in my mind. I just want to encourage us as individuals to select ourselves to be the ones who thrive. So that's one encourage people go forth all you got. Mm, I got chills just hearing you share that. I was just very inspiring. Thank you. <laughs> Truly. I, I know you like to read and I know you do a lot of reading when you are researching for a book. I would be curious to know when it comes to reading, particularly to learn, what do you do to help retain what you read or, or maybe ensure that you're going to implement something that you uh, hope to act on? Copious notes. Yeah. I, I, I use OneNote as the yeah. actual software tool. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I even just use a little notepad on my phone. I digitize everything. But OneNote, it's like Evernote. I just moved over to OneNote because I had it. And it's an excellent repository for knowledge. And what, what I do in my research is uh, I, I am reading books constantly. I just, just finished uh, Rejection Proof. I'm reading mm -hmm. out Anti-Fragile. Rejection Proof was amazing, by the mm -hmm. way. Uh, I'm reading Anti-Fragile or Fragile. Uh, I just finished Extreme Ownership. Really just cool books. But also, I allow myself every day when I'm writing, I write every day, every weekday, to just explore things and research things. So just a few days ago, I was, I was studying uh, how butterflies bring about iridescence without pigmentation through these little mini reflectors. Mm. Then fast forward one more day, I'm reading about Stephen King getting hit by a blue van that nearly kills him. And then this morning, I'm reading about freak shows and this perverted curiosity um, that's continued on even to today. Freak shows still exist where you take these biological anomalies and you put them on display mm. and how it drew attention and how we mock that human society even 50 years ago was 60 years ago was doing these freak shows, but now you see them on TLC, the learning channel. They're, they're putting the exact same thing on. It's, it's verbatim, mm. and yet we mock the inhumanity of that. So it's just, I, just, it, I, I never expected that's what I'd be starting this morning, but that's what I did. Mm. So I mm. allow, as I read books or have thoughts, 
to go down these divergent paths of exploration. Uh, I was going to ask you about some books that you're currently reading that have yeah. left an impression on you. It sounds like uh, Rejection Proof was one of those. How, how did that book impact you? Yeah, so Rejection Proof is by an author named Jia Jiang. I hope I said his name correctly. And uh, Asian descent, uh, I think originally born in China, comes to the U.S. and wants to have the next Amazon. That's his vision, but is a shy introvert and so fearful of rejection that he will not pursue his dream by any stretch of imagination. And then one day he awakens due to an experience with his uncle and says, uh, I got to build a rejection muscle and starts mm. going out there. And he set out this program for a hundred days. He did everything he could to get rejected by other people. And it's his, this guy's journey of being rejected and what he learns from it. Not only does he build this rejection muscle, but he also observes all these different lessons he gains from rejection and why actually people generally don't want to reject others and how it becomes negotiations and stuff. It was, it's a fascinating, lighthearted uh, journey. And I think it's an underrated book. I, I don't know uh, its popularity, but chances mm. are your listeners haven't heard of it. I, I hadn't heard of Rejection Proof. Mm. And um, it, it's underrated. I wish there was more circulation on that book. It's great. Uh, I am uh, excited to say that he has actually been a guest on this podcast. No, uh, really? Yes. Oh, I got to listen to that episode. <laughs> Did I pronounce his name correct? Is it Jia Jian? I I think, and I'm going off memory here, I think it's Jia Zhang, I think. Oh, Zhang. Okay. Well, you've uh, hinted at some of this uh, earlier in our conversation, but I'd love for you to take time to share what you've got planned ahead for uh, the year in front of us. And I know you also share a lot of great and useful uh, resources in the book. So feel free to point us uh, in direction of any sure. of those like. Thank you. Thank you. So may maybe we'll start there. So uh, the website's fixthisnext.com and there's resources from the book. But I think the most interesting thing there is you'll see a big red option red button that says evaluate your business now. Mm. And what is a series of 25 yes, no questions that will pinpoint exactly what you need to work on your business next. It will, it will get rid of the clutter of all the immediate and apparent issues and find the one impactful one. So that's at fixthisnext.com. Uh, the evaluation can be done in less than five minutes. And, there, and there's no signups or downloads or anything. You just fill in the information and there's an analysis done. So the rest of the year, so I just got engaged. You won't be surprised uh, to publish a new book. Uh, it's been something I've been working on for, this is actually the longest I've been working on this concept. It's for 10 years. Wow. Uh, the working title is Different is Better. And it, it's it's the realization of the, the wiring of humanity to instantly and unequivocally notice different. It's so hardwired into us, we cannot not notice different. How can we as businesses use different to not just get attention, that's the easy part, but to attract people and then have them take the action that we so desire. So I've, I've been studying this for about 10 years, I've been employing it, and now uh, now I'm in the writing phase of that. Some really interesting insights. It's such a simple formula, mm. but it's rarely done too because of fear. It, most people give up because they don't wanna be different, they don't wanna stand out. Mm. So how do we, how do we embrace the desire to stand out? That's part of it, too. I love that concept. I think it's uh, Sally Hogshead, is it, that said uh, different is better than better, I think? That's exactly what she said. Yeah. And it's funny. So I've had a speech for about 10 years I've been doing called Different is Better. And uh, <laughs> she says that different is better than better. And so she and I got together uh, about a year ago. We, we met up and we were having lunch together. And we, were, we grabbed a car back to the airport. And as we're driving back together, she goes, yeah, different is better than better. I'm like, hold on. <laughs> I have a, a speech called Different is Better. And she goes, shame on you. You stole from me. I'm like, shame on you, Hogshead. So uh, I now call her Pig's Foot, by the way. Sally Pig's Foot. Just, just to annoy her. Here I am pouring salt into the wound. Sorry about that. I yeah, yeah. But, by the way, she's a remarkable person. 
and a remarkable author. Her book, Fascinate, is actually one of my favorite books of all time. Hmm. Well, uh, the book, again, is called Fix This Next, Make the Vital Change That Will Level Up Your Business. Mike Michalowicz, it is so much fun having you on the show. I've enjoyed each and every conversation, and this one chief among them. Thank you so very much for being here. It's always a joy to be with you, Jeff. Thanks for having me, brother. As always, for links and resources related to my conversation with Mike, you can find all that at the show notes page I've created just for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 322 for episode 322. I will add that a visit to Mike's website is definitely worth your time. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. If you've got a virtual event coming up or you've had to turn an in-person event into a virtual event and looking for a speaker with 10 plus years experience speaking online, I know a guy. I'd love to talk to you about that, especially in the areas of personal and professional development, leadership, and success. You can reach out to me, Jeff, at readtoleadpodcast.com. That's also where you can reach me if you have questions, comments, suggestions, or feedback for the show. I'd love to hear from you. Again, next time we'll be welcoming author Steve Hers as we dive into his book, Don't Take Yes for an Answer. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 